It's time. It's time. Passcode accepted. Now loading the Down South IT Podcast. Everybody, glad to have you with me. This is the Down South IT Podcast. My name is Clark, coming to you from the heart of Cajun country, down in the heart of South Louisiana, where spring has been sprung and now it's 80 degrees because we only have like two weeks worth of winter down here. And on that note, I'm hoping you're doing well today. And today we're going to go through some little bit of troubleshooting, just in case you might have some kind of weird lingering symptom or something like that on your laptop or your desktop. We're going to talk about what it could be, what's some of the fixes for it. You know, we are going to go through a lot of stuff. Motherboards, hard drives, RAM, the whole kit and caboodle. If you want to double check everything after everything is said and done, or you want to follow along as we go, don't forget everything is on the show prep. So it's right there on the website, downsouthitpodcast.com, right under the embedded player. Look for the show prep link. Everything will be right there for you. PDF format, easy to get on your phone or even on your desktop, if you happen to be on that, why you can't. But if your desktop is busted, you're probably going to be looking on your phone. But that's the great thing about my website. Everything is formatted for phones too. So yay. And while you're on the website, don't forget to check out everything that's on there. The Defender newsletter, all the build guides, different, all kinds of cool stuff up there for you if you really want to get into it. You can pretty much find something for your liking on there if you search hard enough. That much I can promise you. And it doesn't stop there because all the way at the top of the website, there's the links to all the different podcasts. So you can catch it on just about any place you can catch podcasts, whichever one you happen to use that's your favorite. I guarantee you, you can find it. Just click that and it'll take you right there. Like and follow the pages on there so you don't miss an episode. I even have the Facebook page and the YouTube page up there, uh, which I really need to start doing more YouTube videos to be to be fair. I've kind of laxed on that a little bit, but I'm going to have to get back into that. But nine times out of 10, if you want to know something that's going on on the podcast, hit up the Facebook page, just search for it at Down South IT. You can find it on Facebook and everything will be right there. That's usually where I put, you know, most of the announcements and different things like that. So you can check that out. Everything is on there. Go ahead and like and follow the page. If you don't mind, that'll help me out a lot. And since we got so much to go, let's just jump right into it and we go do a little bit of troubleshooting here today. So first up, we're going to start with the big stuff and kind of work down. And the big stuff would be probably motherboard. And that's going to be the absolute biggest thing because that's usually next to the graphics card, the most expensive component in any computer. And it's usually the one that gives you the most fits whenever everything happens to start going haywire. So whenever you, your motherboard does start happen to go, what are some of the symptoms? You get random reboots. You may get, you know, the computer will actually start to boot, but then it'll shut down. You'll get a lot more Windows errors or the blue screen of death, you know, which those are not as bad as you probably think. That just means Windows just freaks out. So, you know, it, granted, 
They are a pain. They're aggravating. But the good thing is they do give you codes to look up. So if you do happen to get one of those Windows errors, those blue screens of death, look for the code. Usually it's a 00x and then a string of like six to eight numbers or letters and numbers. That's what you want to look up. That's your error code. You can go on Microsoft's website, search for that error code, and that'll point you at least in a direction of either a possible fix or what could be wrong. Now, the thing with motherboards going out is you'll get blue screens, but you'll get random errors. You'll get, instead of getting one or two different codes and those codes will keep going, you know, and you keep getting those certain codes, every time it gives you a blue screen, it'll give you something different. So it, because it's pulling a different error because something else is failing or something else happens to be going a little crazy. So you will see a lot more of those blue screens, but keep, keep mind of those error codes or write, even write them down. That way you have a record of them and then you'll be able to see if they're recurring or if they just happen to be just kind of whatever happens to be happening at that point in time. A couple other things, the computer may freeze for no reason because everything just starts acting all kinds of wonky and you know doesn't know what to do now so it just stops and then usually at that point everything will just crash so what can you do for some of the fixes for these whenever you do a motherboard or if you think it might be your motherboard you want to try to rule out every other thing that it could possibly be before you replace an entire motherboard and the big thing with that is you don't want to replace it unless you absolutely have to simply for the fact of depending on how old your computer is and a lot of other factors, you might have to replace multiple parts if you replace your motherboard. So you may end up having to replace the board itself, the CPU and your memory all at once. And that's very expensive to do. So it's better to go ahead and try to figure out exactly what the problem is before you get to that point. If it comes to the fact of you have to get a new motherboard, then that's whenever you're going to end up doing a lot more research. And I, I kind of hate to say that, but you have to do a lot of research on that to find out what CPU you have. So what socket type you need, because each end of each CPU is its own socket size. You need to figure out what socket size it is, what RAM you have, and what timing it is, and speeds and everything, so you can match everything up so the stuff that you have now will work with the new motherboard. At least when, if, whenever you're going through and building a custom computer, usually you start with the motherboard, and then you can kind of piece together you know, what you want depending on what you're planning on doing with your computer. But whenever you're going about it this way and something happens to it and it, it dies or part of it dies, then you're looking at having to do that backwards. And that's a lot more of a pain and it's a lot more research to figure out to make sure everything that you have is going to work. Now, the one thing I don't have on the show prep that I thought about after the fact, and I'm interjecting myself into this from the future. So, Power supplies. Power supplies are going to be another thing that is very high on the list behind your motherboard of things that could possibly fail and are really weird and hard to track down. Simply because of the fact of if it's a power supply, 
you'll get usually random weird errors uh, whenever you're trying to do stuff. It'll only light up part of your motherboard. You know, your hard drives may spin up, but nothing else works. Or maybe your graphics card will spin up. You know, you see the fans on the graphics card spin up, but nothing on the, the RAM side will work. You know, you won't get any other weird lights or anything like that. And mainly that's because most power supplies nowadays have two different rails. They have a 12-volt rail and they have a 5-volt rail. If one of those happens to fail, the only one that's going to work is the working rail. So everything that feeds off of, say, that 12-volt rail, your graphics card, your CPU, and the, the, the main connector, the 24-pin connector for your motherboard, that stuff won't work. The only thing that might work, you may see a few little lights here pop up here and there for your hard drive or, you know, something or USBs or something like that. But nothing else is really going to work. So you really won't get any beeps or postcodes or anything like that. If the other rail fails, the, the five volt rail, you at least see you should at least get some beep codes because, you know, it won't recognize that your hard drives are working. Your USB isn't working different things like that. But at least at that point, you'll get some beep codes from the motherboard saying, hey, you know, something ain't right. You need to look into this a little further. So that's one of the, the weird things. The other thing is you might not just get power at all. And that could be just simply because the power supply itself died. It had a huge spike in voltage at some point, you, you know, maybe a lightning strike, you know, way down the road. That can affect a lot of different things. Power supplies are very sensitive to that kind of thing. If you don't have it on a battery backup or uh, UPS or anything like that, they, they are quite sensitive as far as power spikes like that. Usually they can handle some, but if you happen to have something big at once or a big voltage drop off, that too will cause them to fail and you know power off. So, it's, so, it, so some of those are a little bit weird in that regard. But if you are on a battery backup, usually those will condition the power that are, that's going out. So you have a lot less likely issue with that. The only bad thing with that is if your power supply is on it for a long time, say a year or two, then it actually kind of trains itself to only be fed by the UPS. So if you take it off and put it back on a, a regular outlet, then it'll some of those spikes and, and dips in, in the power and the voltage and stuff like that may cause it to freak out a little bit. At least the good thing is power supplies are fairly easy to get a hold of. They're fairly cheap. You won't have too much problem replacing one, especially if it's an older computer. Uh, batteries on laptops are a little bit different, a uh, little bit different bear right about now, just simply because of the fact of trying to get into a lot of laptops and stuff now. You need special tools and suction cups and things of that nature to be able to even get into them. But they're usually not difficult to do once you actually do get it open. It's usually a couple of screws and one little, you know, terminal once you get in there. Not very, not very hard at all. Desktops are going to be a little bit easier depending on what size case and things like that. You get a little bit more room to work if you have a bigger case. Usually that means you have a big, a little bit bigger power supply. They all come in a fairly standard size with the cables coming off of them. So basically you're just tracking down where each one goes and then you replace where each one is plugged in. 
they're not too, too difficult to, to deal with. I actually just did one over the weekend for my Plex server. So I was like, uh, for some reason, it did not have an 8-pin because I was adding a GPU for transcoding. But for the one that I have, I ended up jumping from a 550-watt to a 650-watt. And at least now I have an 8-pin connector. I don't, I'm not sure why the original one I had did not have one. But apparently I did not look that far into the future, so that one was on me. But at least I had a spare. So, and as far as power supplies go, you want to look for something at least what you had before. So if you had a 450-watt power supply, you want to find something at least that or better. Preferably something at least another 100 watts if you really want to just to give yourself a little bit of cushion for power spikes, power dips, things like that. If you want to really get into it and get a good one, because you really want a good power supply whenever you get one, you want to look at something like Corsair or Seasonic. Both of them, those manufacturers make really good ones. Look for something that's at least 80 plus bronze. That way it'll at least be a little bit more efficient whenever you're uh, using it. And the efficiency rating is basically how efficiently does it take and change over from AC wall outlet to DC computer power? You want it to be efficient because in cases where power supplies are not efficient, the byproduct of them not being efficient is heat. So things heat up a lot faster whenever they don't work as efficient. So you want to get something at least 80 plus bronze. They go all the way up to 80 plus platinum. Granted, you're going to pay for that, but usually you can find a really decent 80 plus bronze power supply, you know, for a, a really good price, depending on the wattage, anywhere from 80 to maybe a hundred bucks tops. Usually you can find them for a little bit cheaper. So it just kind of depends on what, you know, what you need and what you're doing. Okay. Jumping back into hard drives. So say you got a hard drive that's starting to die on you. What are you going to get? Well, in a couple of the symptoms that I have listed in the show prep is one would be strange sounds and stuck spindle motor and a couple overheating that you really won't see too much on the newer style drives, the M.2s, NVMEs, SSDs, the overheating you probably still would see, but the strange sounds, the whirring, any kind of grinding, anything like that is going to be for the older spinning platter hard drives, the actual hard drives that are around, not solid state, uh, you know, uh, solid state data drives, not M.2s, anything like that. So overheating is still a very much a possibility with the other kind, the, the solid state drives, but it's not near as a it's not near as much of a problem as it would be on the actual physical spinning drive. But other than noises and different things like that that you're going to see, if you try to save files or move folders or do something, you know, with the data that you have on your computer, if you're trying to save something, it may save it, but when you go back to it, it'll say it's corrupted. If you try to transfer stuff from one folder to another folder or try to copy something, then it may do the same thing. It may come up saying that it can't copy it or it's corrupted if you try to open up the new version. Different things like that, but you're going to get error messages with weird stuff like that. You might not get to 
the blue screens of deaths or the system crashes unless the hard drive is really, really on the way out. But at least with stuff like this, if you if you're paying attention and you kind of notice it, then this kind of thing, you can actually get ahead of it a little bit because ultimately the drive will fail. Every drive is going to fail at some point. That's just the way it is. So what you can do is if you pay attention and you notice when it starts driving out and start going out, then you can actually go ahead and find a replacement, replace it, and then be able to still recover your data off of it. Replacing a drive is fairly cheap, especially if you're getting some of the spinning ones like the older style. Even SSDs right now are insanely cheap for something, you know, something crazy. And they actually run a lot faster than the spinning ones. So if you're replacing an actual hard drive with an SSD, you're actually going to be coming out a little bit better as far as performance goes. It's just a matter of do you have the plugs on your motherboard to be able to support it. Most modern motherboards will have at least two SATA ports. So you should be able to switch over and you shouldn't have any, any problems. The only bad thing with having to replace an entire drive is going to be nine times out of 10, you're going to have to replace and reinstall your operating system. So you're going to have to basically wipe it and start from scratch as far as Windows goes. So, or even Mac OS, if you go that route, you will have to end up reinstalling your heart, your operating system because it's a new drive. It doesn't have that. And the other thing is you don't know once that drive starts to fail you don't know what stuff is actually corrupted on that drive so if if you have that problem you really don't want to take the chance of cloning the drive that you have because then you're going to be cloning corrupted data is it data or data 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 yeah whatever either one so even if you do have to replace the drive and reinstall your windows or mac os either one it's really not that big of a deal. Once you have that set up and everything is ready to go, usually you can plug that same, that drive that's starting to fail back into that computer. It won't boot off of that drive, but it should at least show up in your file explorer. So that way you can at least get stuff off of it. Sometimes you can get a dock or you know some kind of USB cable to go from your, your computer to that drive, depending on what kind of drive it is, they do have some kind of do some dongles and docks and things like that that you can get. That way you just plug the drive directly into it and you can be able to copy stuff off of it. Now, if you have stuff that happens to be corrupted or can't copy, then unfortunately that stuff is probably going to be lost. But at least for the most part, especially if you're having issues with it, you know, grinding or squealing or, you know, overheating or stuff like that, that drive, you should be able to plug it in, get some stuff off of it once, it's once it actually gets recognized by the computer. And then if you have to, you can unplug it. Go back after it cools off, plug it in again, grab some more stuff. It, it may take you a little while, but you should be able to get at least most of your stuff, most of your data off of that drive. And always, always, always run backups. Have some kind of program to run to where you can have backups. Backups are not just for servers in, you know, a corporate environment. Backups are for everybody. <laughs> If you can swing it, having an external hard drive, just want a USB version that you can plug in and use that just simply to run backups on, that is a wonderful thing.
That's exactly what I do. That way, just on the off chance that I can't get a hold of something, it should be in that backup somewhere. And I, I still will have a record of it. So backups, backup, backups. Uh, actually, I'll tell you right now, the program that I use to back up my desktops and my, my Plex server actually is it's called Ease US To Do Backup. And it's E-A-S-E-U-S-T-O-D-O Backup. There, there is a free version. That's what I use. There's usually, there's not a whole lot different between the paid and the, the free versions. The free version will work just as well. I think the paid one is if you want to really use cloud storage or anything like that, but most people don't have enough cloud storage to even use it. So, hey, local storage is great. It's That way it saves on your internet bill in, in that case anyway. You can go through and check that out. Ease US to do backup. There is a free version, so go for it. Next up is RAM. So if your memory starts acting up on you or going out, you'll get blue screen. So you'll get the blue screen of death. You'll get random crashes and reboots. If you've got something that you're doing a lot of memory, like you're opening up a, a big program or you're trying to do something in Photoshop or something along that line, you know, then you'll get a crash. Distorted graphics on your computer screen, failure to boot or turn on, you'll usually you get beep codes with, with the motherboard with that kind of thing, or you'll even get a memory error on boot. Whenever you're booting, it'll usually flash a black screen with the BIOS updates and different things like that. It'll give you a memory error at that point, usually. Good thing is memory usually does not fail all at once. And most computers will have at least two sticks of RAM. Some will only have one. Some laptops will only have one. In that case, that's no bueno. And you're probably just going to have to replace that one. But in the future, you could go ahead and update and get more if you can afford it. And you go for, go that route. That way, at least you have two and you run in dual channel. That's a lot more efficient for the computers. It will help you out in the performance realm as far as just doing normal things and normal tasks too. So even if you get the same amount, say you only had eight gigs of RAM, if you go from one eight gig stick to two four gig sticks, the two four gig will actually do a lot better and probably run a little quicker just for the mere fact of you're running in dual channel. But if you do have more than one memory stick or RAM stick, the good thing is you can usually tell which one goes bad because you can just take everything out of your desktop or your laptop and whichever RAM slot is slot one. If it's usually, you know, depending on the, the, the model of the motherboard and stuff like that on the laptop, it's a little bit difficult to figure out. You got to read the small print that they have next to each one to decide whether or not it is there. Usually on desktops, they have either two or four slots on one side. Slot one is usually the second slot, and then the fourth slot is slot two. I know it's weird. Trust me. We'll go through. You take all the RAM sticks out, and you try to boot everything up with one stick at a time in slot one. If it'll boot, that stick is good. If it won't, there's your bad one. <laughs> That's the one you got to replace. At least RAM is really easy to change. It's not very difficult. Like I say, laptops, it's a little bit harder just to try to get into the bottom of them. Most newer laptops have either a little door 
or they're not too terrible to get into the bottom of to where you can just kind of flick those in, the the sodium slots you know and they're they're right there they're not very hard to get to desktops basically you just push on the the little tabs on the outside and the whole thing will pop out you just push it straight down into it and those little things will snap on the side and boom you're ready to go very easy to do the trick with ram is you have to figure out which speed you have what type you have and the latency that you have so you have the type would be your ddr number so it'd be either ddr2 ddr3 ddr4 we have ddr5 now your speed which is going to be like your pc 25000 you know which is a 3200 megahertz uh stick but it just look for the pc number that'll be on there the latency number which usually it'll be like a cl22 cl50 something like that it'll be a cl number it's the cast latency that's the late the most latency that the that stick can actually have and still be within spec don't worry about that too much the latency is mainly there if you want like high performance stuff you want stuff that's lower latency but if you're just trying to get something that works stick with your ddr number and your speed number your pc number and then that's where you really want to stick the cast latency can vary a little bit you can you know, something that's CL22 or CL30 will still work. In laptops, it may get a little bit higher than that. You know, anything CL40 to CL52 will work. It just kind of depends on what your motherboard can handle. But everything should be on the stick that you pull out. So the most of them, 99.99% of the time, will have a sticker on there that'll tell you everything you need to know about this, the memory that you're holding in your hand. So just make sure you match the DDR type, the speed, the latency. You can kind of fudge a little bit, you know, depending on what you can get your hands on. But other than that, they're really easy to swap. Next up is graphics cards. If you have a discrete graphics card, which most gaming computers do, some do not. It just depends on the setup that you actually have. But if you have a discrete graphics card, then you might look into something after you get some random reboots. If you get a computer crash and then it won't reboot, if you have boots with no picture on the monitor or you get glitches while you're playing a game, loud fan noise, squealing, stuff like that. If you lose picture, if you're doing something gr very graphically intensive, like if you're loading a game or you have something, you're playing a game or something and it has a lot going on on the screen is very intensive then you may either lose picture or your computer crash that is all signs of you know a possible gpu going out the only bad thing if you do have one of those any kind of fixes for those are going to be pretty risky and going to be pretty expensive so if you don't know what you're doing you may want to stay away from those there are some things that you can do if your, if your card is overheating or something like that, you could try to find replacement fans. That way you can you know replace any fans that might be going out has bad bearings or something like that. Repasting the, the paste on the GPU die and repositioning the cooler, you could also try that. I would definitely not recommend that unless you've actually tried it before. Very hard. As, not that it's very difficult, but it is something that will void your warranty if you have one. So if you don't want to go that route, I would do it. And 
I can promise you, you might end up doing more harm than good if you try. If you get any, any, any kind of other issues with your VRAM capacitors or MOSFETs or anything like that, something like that that burns out, you get scorching on the, the PCB, those are really not going to be worth the effort to try to replace. If you have a warranty on your card, go ahead and try to do a warranty claim on it or you're going to have to just outright replace it. Last up is going to be CPU, the brains of the operation. Now, on laptops, it's a little bit more finicky simply for the fact of a lot of the CPUs and GPUs are soldered directly into the board. So those are not going to be user swappable if they happen to start crapping out on you, which sucks because, you know, if something dies, I'd rather fix it than just buy a new one because that's just the way I am. I'm just weird like that, I guess. But if you have a lot of weird booting issues, you get frequent shutdowns whenever you try to boot, boot up. You get beep codes from the motherboard, intermittent freezing, a lot of blue screen errors, different things like that. That could be symptoms of the CPU starting to go. And unfortunately, again, there really aren't a whole lot of things I would suggest that it, you could do as far as, you know, what could be the problem. Really, the only thing usable, usability-wise, I would suggest if you are having issues with it, possibly if you're having overheating issues. If you run your computer for a while or if you're doing something CPU heavy and then everything shuts down and then you able to let it sit for 15 20 minutes and then it'll boot back up and it'll be fine usually that something along that line would be more of an overheating issue than it would be an actual hardware failure so something like that you probably could get away with if you wanted to try a different cpu cooler you know reposition the cooler a little bit reapply the cpu thermal paste try to get a little bit better contact on it or even replacing the cooler itself you can get a really nice cooler for like 60 bucks and one that'll work pretty much, you know, either Intel or AMD really doesn't matter. Arctic Cool makes a, a bunch of good ones. Noctua makes a bunch of good, really nice ones that are really quiet. They're fan-based, but they're at least quiet. Cooler Master has a bunch of them. It just kind of depends on what style you're looking for. If I had to put my money on any of them, it's probably being some of the better ones. I would say I would steer you toward more toward the Noctua. At least those are really good and really quiet. They are rated for whatever CPU socket you happen to have. So depending on what socket you have, it'll do a bunch of different CPUs. And they usually come with thermal paste and the, the fans and stuff like that. Changing out a fan is not that difficult. Uh, changing out a cooler is not that bad. If you do go the route uh, and really want to kind of get into it and have done it before, you could go from an air cooler maybe to an AIO. Uh, there are some benefits of using an all-in-one cooler with the liquid cooling and the radiator and stuff like that. It's a lot more wiring. It's a lot, depending on what kind of case you have and the room that you have in there, you may be able to get away with it. You may not. It just kind of depends on your setup. But if you are wanting to kind of go that route, you're going to have to look and see if you have room for all of that because it's a lot of, it, it takes up a good little bit of space to be fair. So you, that's kind of one thing you want to look for. Most of them will have the different brackets to be able to, to do either Intel or AMD platforms. 
So you just kind of want to see which one you have and which one you can fit in your case. Depends on if you can get, you can only put a 240 or a, you know, a, a 360. It kind of depends on how many fans and how big a radiator. And there's a lot of ins and outs as far as AIOs go. So you, you will have to do some research to see if you can actually do it on top of if your case will actually fit it and if you have the venting to be able to use it. So, but it is an option. But if you already have an air cooler, probably your best bet is just to replace it with another air cooler. But if you have to get a new CPU and you and you still have any issues after you replace a cooler, it's still doing the same thing, then you may be looking at something having to do with the CPU going bad, which in that case, again, there's really not much I can suggest that you can do other than possibly replace it. And whenever you do replace it, you want to try to find a one-to-one -one match, if at all possible. But if you can't find the exact same one, everything, it, the model number and everything will be listed underneath the, on, underneath the, where the cooler is. It, everything is printed right there on the top of the CPU. So you should be able to figure out what model number it is, the socket, all of that, just doing a little bit of research. Uh, Intel uses a LGA followed by usually a, a four-digit number or maybe a three-digit depending how old it is and that's the number of pins in that socket and AMD uses would they they just go AM3, AM3+, AM4 now they're up to AM5. AM5 is actually an LGA socket so they're kind of following in Intel steps with that one but you need to know what socket size you have for the the CPU that you have. That way you can go look for one. It, usually, if you can't find a one-to-one -one match, as long as you have one or can find one that'll work in the socket of your motherboard, it should work. If, if it's in a little bit of an upgrade or a little bit of a downgrade, it really doesn't matter. That the, the thing is, do you want to get a working computer? Usually you can get a little bit of an upgrade, especially if you've had your computer for a little while. You should be able to find something that has the same socket that you have, but might be a little bit of an upgrade. Say you you had an Intel, you might have had a 7800. You might be able to find a 7900K or something like that. So a little bit of an upgrade, but it's going to be the same socket size. AMD, you may you know find a, a Pentium or a... a a Celeron or something like that, you might be able to find something along that same line, but it's a it's maybe the the black version. It might be the FX version of the the one you have, which would be a lot better. Usually, those run a little bit hotter, but at least it'll be the same socket size, and you'll get a little bit of an upgrade. Ooh, I kind of went a little bit long today. That's all right. We were just troubleshooting, trying to get stuff working. That's all. That's all good. Again, if you want to go through any of the fixes or the symptoms or anything like that, if you want to follow along or kind of look over this stuff, you might be having some of these things happen to you on the show prep page. Again, website, downsouthitpodcast.com, right under the embedded player. Look for the show prep link. It'll be right there, episode 1004. Go ahead and check it out. Everything will be right there for you. If you need anything other than that, you can also drop me a line while you're there on the website all the way at the bottom. Send me a message. It goes straight to me. It actually it actually hits my phone. So depending on what you <laughs> what you got, I'll get back to you as soon as I can, either that day or maybe maybe next day. It depends on what, what I got going on. But I, anybody that does send me stuff through the website, I do all I reply to everything. So if you have a question, have a problem, let me know. I will do my best to help you.
If you don't want to do that through the website, you can also hit me up on Facebook. Go to the, the page at Down South IT on Facebook. Send me a message on there. Do a post. Reply to a post. Whatever you want to do. I get all of that too. I see everything. So if there is something going on, I will get back to you. Just I need to know if you're having a problem. So <laughs> you got to let me know. So on that note, I will go ahead and end it right here like I always do. A paraphrase from Albert Hubbard. Technology can replace the work of many people, but it can never replace the work of one extraordinary person. So go out and be extraordinary today. Thank you all for listening. This has been a really long, but a really informative episode. I hope you like it. I'll see you right back here on the next episode of the Down South IT Podcast. I'll catch you next time. Later. Later.